Are you an organization looking to tap into the massive opportunity to partner with the hyperscalers like Microsoft? Are you struggling to achieve your greatest results and wish there were easier answers? Do you want to learn from someone who has dramatically impacted the success of one of the world's largest technology partnerships? Then you've come to the right place. This is the ultimate guide to partnering, the top partnership podcast. In this podcast, Vince Minzione, a proven partner sales executive, shares his mission to help leaders like you achieve your greatest results through successful partnering. And now your host, Vince Minzione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host. And today, I welcome Nidhi Gupta, the head of Hyperscaler Business Development for the Microsoft Partnership at VMware, one of the world's largest independent software vendors and an ecosystem powerhouse in their own right. In this episode, Nidhi shares her secrets to transforming this massive partnership, how she's applied some of the principles I share for successful partnering, why she's bullish on Microsoft's pivot to marketplace, and advice you can take to grow your partnership in fiscal year 24. I hope you enjoy and learn from this discussion as much as I enjoyed welcoming Needy Gupta. Needy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Vince. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited to welcome you as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You're the head of Hyperscaler Business Development for the Microsoft Partnership at VMware. And we worked at Microsoft at the same time. So it's so great to welcome you today. Thank you so much. So for our listeners, maybe the one or two people out there that don't know you personally, can you describe for them your role and responsibilities at VMware? Absolutely. So I've been at VMware two years. Um, I am the Senior Director for Public Cloud Partnerships at VMware with a focus on, hyper-focus on Microsoft partnerships for VMware worldwide. Um, I have a small team of all-women team that manages this relationship. And the way we think about our role for the organization that's VMware is that we are the CEOs of the Microsoft business for VMware, which means we manage this relationship end-to-end. We scale, of course, we scale through our cross-functional teams. And my responsibility includes managing this great team of business development and partnership leaders. We forge uh, and maintain any agreements between the two companies. We identify co-built efforts like ones that we are doing with AIML now. And um, we also craft effective cloud GTM strategies like co-sell incentives and novel routes to market like the marketplaces. So there's a lot, but this is the end-to-end, and that's what managing the Microsoft partnership in an ISV looks like. Yeah, and I think it's really great for our listeners, many of which may not really understand like what goes in, on in a large organization like VMware. You have several different product categories or groups, and you have a, you have a team of people. I, I noted that you mentioned a women-led team or a team made up of women. I maybe want to dive in a little bit more on that as we get further in the conversation. But tell us what goes into the roles. Like, how do you separate like roles and responsibilities on your team? Yeah, so we um, um, obviously with Microsoft manage this relationship globally. So we have focus on what we call Americas, then EMEA and APJ. But then we also have dedicated focus on COSAL and Marketplace. 
Um, and that was much needed. And then we also have focused on doing the agreements, which I do primarily, as well as on the co-build motion, kind of finding the right people across product management, as well as engineering, as well as our, our office of the CTO, and making sure that they all come together uh, and make the partnership successful. So that that's part of the charter. So I would say summarize it as co-build, co-sell, co-market, and all those things coming together. To I, I love the way you separate that, co-build, co-market, co-sell together. And, you know, I do a lot of work as well in the ISV community in which the independent software vendor community in which you live as well. And you built a formidable co-sell relationship with Microsoft, but it wasn't always that way. Can you tell us about that journey? Yeah, it's, it's actually a really good journey. And I was reflecting on this just a few days back. So I started um, at VMware uh, two years back. And when I took this role at VMware, we had just started our co-sell journey with Microsoft. And as you know, once that Microsoft started the co-sell program and structured it in 2017, right? And fortunately for us, my colleagues had already spent a little bit of time in investing in uh, building a few fundamentals, like the data integrations were there when I arrived. And I'm really grateful for those prior colleagues that they had done that foundation work because that gave us a kickstart. What had not happened was that there was no focus, right? There was no structure. And to drive focus and structure, we had to do three things. So I think number one, we had to make sure that co-sell or joint selling with Microsoft was seen as an important part of the relationship building with Microsoft. And I don't think many people in the organizations, in ISV organizations, see it that way. And that's a problem, right? So you have to kind of explain and educate and make sure that we are focusing on the co-sell program and there is the compensation and how the sales teams are measured is all tied together. So pulling that together was kind of part of that journey. The second thing is kind of also clarifying that Cosel is part of the VMware's cloud go-to-market motion. So we had to educate mm. our executives and talk about the program and how that has impact on VMware's revenue and help the sellers understand that. So there was a lot of just kind of work on what I call the sales enablement, and that's the third piece of this puzzle. But we had to really get focused on how Cosel is part of driving what I call a data-driven sales engagement and enablement, right? So we are able to actually look at, you know, what is in the pipeline. We are able to now look at what we have been able to close. And then we are able to share that with each of the regional sales leads and also the sellers. It's like, these are the accounts we've made some traction on. And if you can't measure, <laughs> then you, it's hard to drive that uh, behavior as well. So I think those were the three things that, we had to really pull up our sleeves and do, and also the focus was because we have a focus lead for Cosell at VMware, right? She goes and drives that end-to-end -end, uh, reporting, make sure that uh, people know about the program. And then when Cosell, the word itself becomes confusing, then we kind of use the language of joint selling and what does that mean and yeah. go in and kind of sell it that way. But it's constantly framing, right? It's it's kind of what yeah. it is in it for the sellers, what's in it for VMware, what's in it for the partnership. 
I want to dive in a little bit because what I thought I heard you talk about was some of the, well, I'd say the internal challenges, right? Uh, it, it sounded like you need to get leadership involved, get that executive commitment. The conversation internally, maybe about changing the approach and why co-selling was additive to the selling efforts of VMware, and if I understood you correctly, and then also using data to drive the conversation to say, this is how many more at-bats we got. I'll use my terminology here, right? More at-bats we had. Uh, we had a greater velocity or deal close win ratios, right? These are the things that co-sell people don't often understand. Like, why should I do this? It's so much extra work, right? What were the challenges from your side? Did I uncover some of them here or were there others? Yeah, I think those were the key, right? I think kind of telling the story of why COSAL was the most important one. And I think that's what I was saying that how the way we reframed that was with this notion of that COSAL is important part of the relationship building with Microsoft. If we don't do COSAL, the partnership kind of fizzles through, right? Because yeah. the resources that we have on the partner development side, the partner marketing side, as well as the technical specialists that we get as part of our kind of team at Microsoft who helps us do all the things on a daily basis and help us navigate the 300,000 people at Microsoft comes with this tie-in with the program, right? So I think that is not clear internally. And that was kind of an important part of making sure that, hey, if we need to build that relationship with Microsoft, this is the gateway. Right, co-sell program is the gateway. And, and I think that kind of building on that is that for VMware, it's important because we are trying to get to that cloud go-to-market motion, which is very honed in for the VMware products. But what about products that we jointly sell with Microsoft? So how do we tie that with, you know, how, how do we go about doing that? And how do we do that with our sales teams and our customer success teams so that tie-in didn't exist in a formal, structured way. Right? Yeah. So we did a bunch of things that uh, allowed us to do that. And for our listeners that don't understand this, you also have what I'll call first-party offerings. Are they still referred to that as first-party offerings? Microsoft has a nomenclature around this, but it's an offer where VMware and Microsoft stand up an offering that is sold by the field team at Microsoft. Is That's that correct? correct? That's yeah. correct. So... We have both um, a first-party solution, uh, which is Azure VMware solution, and as well as we have our third-party solutions, which, and again, that nomenclature is confusing, by the way, I'll tell you. Yes. I mean, that means, means something when I go and have that conversation with Microsoft, but when I turn back and my team goes and has that conversation internally, our first party, that, that, that difference, sellers don't see that difference, right? Because we compensate our sellers on both the first Microsoft first party and third party offers. As long as they are selling any of these joint solutions, we are good. And same for Microsoft, right? We have that tie-in on the sales compensation side. So make sure as you lead with Azure VMware solution, which is our Microsoft first party solution, we tie in all these other solutions that we also jointly sell. And, you know, you kind of struck on something here is what I call it the decoder ring, right? Because you, you brought many years of Microsoft experience into VMware, and I think you, you're able to translate internally some of that language and methodology back 
to your organization. Yeah, I think that could be another title which partnerships people could have as the chief translator officer, right? I love it. <laughs> because you're constantly doing the translation of not only just cultural nuances, but also the acronyms and the abbreviations that are used across two organizations. And um, often, you know, we find ourselves doing that is this is what the Microsoft team meant. This is what the VMware team meant. Now let's kind of, can we get to that next step? Because yes. I think there's the translation is not happening properly and uh, we can move to the next step. But yeah, that, I think that's exactly uh, what our role is uh, many times. Well, and, and in addition to being a, I'll call a Microsoft expert, because you spent many years at Microsoft and understood coming into VMware how to make that happen, how to build the co-sell methodology. You also leaned on some expert guides to help you with your methodology and improving it. What was that experience like? What worked and what didn't work in some of the improvements that you made? No, absolutely. I mean, we, my team constantly relies on experts um, that are both VMware experts as well as Microsoft experts. And in fact, we have actively reached out to a lot of leaders I fortunately had to work with uh, at Microsoft who are running some consulting firms right now to kind of engage with them. Um, as you know, our friend Aaron helped us with the COSAL, kind of making sure that the operational nitty gritty of day to day work that needed to be done uh, could be done. And we had to outsource that, right? That That's not something a full-time resource on my team could have managed because of the large scale. Like we have thousands of leads in the pipeline that have to be managed across multiple business units at VMware. And so we needed that you know, support. We also reached out when we were working on messaging and positioning and how do we go talk to Microsoft sellers. We engaged a lot of experts, right? Um, our friend Larry, and they came and helped us create those superpower slides uh, so that we could have that conversation. And in, internally, again, you know, we've engaged with the VMware enablement team, make sure that we are doing the translation internally as well. So it takes a variety of consultants and experts to make this work. And if someone thinks I can just do it and I've heard these stories in the partnership community that, you know, a new leader comes in, tries to do it everything by themselves. And no, you can't, like, especially right. if you're talking about two large organizations, you need other translators to help you with this job. It's so true. And I want to dive in a little bit more on this too, because it, you kind of struck on this, right? What do you believe to be true, but is overlooked in partnering with Microsoft? Yeah, I think this is a realization I had when I was at Microsoft, that Microsoft business model is partner-led, right? So it is an ecosystem strategy at the core of their business model. And I think once you recognize that, and that's not the case for other public cloud vendors, right? They are still learning those uh, that, that aspect of the business model. And once you kind of dial into that's what it means. And you can tap into the ecosystem. You know, Microsoft has, I think someone gave me this number, like 5 million partners. So if you're able to figure out how to start scaling your business through not only the connection with Microsoft directly and the Microsoft sellers directly, but also engage this ecosystem that Microsoft has from a professional services 
the vendors, for system integrators, the other ISVs, and are able to start packaging some of your solutions with the other you know, customer value added opportunities, I think that scale can be immense. And yeah. I would say that even at VMware, we're just barely starting this to scratch the surface as we brought in the marketplace agreement. We did that marketplace agreement and started kind of really deep going deep into how we do this. Yeah. And, you know, what you were alluding to here, I mean, v- VMware has built a very strong, we used to call it channel back in the day, right? That's so right. You, have a, you have a strong capability, which is now an ecosystem supporting <laughs> VMware. And how does that overlap with the Microsoft ecosystem? It's pretty pretty closely aligned. Yeah, it's the, the mapping is pretty yeah. close. I mean, yeah. majority of VMware's uh, system integrators, as well as resellers and distributors are the same partners. And that's yeah. an advantage, which we take... Yeah. You know, we have been taking advantage of as well because we know that these same partners would, would want to do business with both companies. It's just a matter of now making sure that their internal VMware teams talk to the Microsoft teams. You know, yes. that's the work that we need to do. But once that work is done, and I know I make it sound very easy, but once that work is done, then it starts kind of really getting the scale motions move faster. Yeah. And it's that's not easy work. We can spend a whole podcast episode talking about that, both internally within your organization, getting the teams to talk together, and then on the Microsoft side, getting those different teams that manage the different partner types talking yeah. with one another. I think that's the yeah. the beauty or the curse, whichever way you want to look at of large organizations. <laughs> but that, I think that's the, the job as well, to make sure that we can coordinate and connect the dots where those dots are not connecting. And when it's done effectively, and in some cases we have been able to do that, it it really drives the business forward in a in a scale and the way that is, you know, people don't know that can be done. You touched on it, and I want to peel back on it right now, or amplify the conversation because at Microsoft's Inspire conference, just it's almost a month ago. There was a lot of buzz around marketplaces. In fact, I called it the marketplace moment because Microsoft made some big investments. Let's talk about marketplaces. And are you bullish on them? Absolutely. I would say yes, 100%. If you're not on Azure Marketplace or any marketplace that these cloud vendors have, then you're going to lose out. I'll tell you why. I mean, two years back when I started, the first thing I did was, hey, do we have an Azure Marketplace agreement? If no... Let's go do that. And that meant I had to build a business case, make sure that we could tell the story of why Marketplace was important, and then do the tedious agreement negotiations with Microsoft to make sure that we were on Azure Marketplace, right? And then after that, there was a lot of work on making sure that each of our business units had solutions that can meet the requirements of the Azure Marketplace, could be listed, and then on the other side, on the buyer side, making sure the customers knew we were listed and we could drive campaigns and kind of make that connection. And then we had a way to get the pipeline, get the private offers in, close those deals. And in fact, last year, the largest marketplace uh, deal was VMware's deal, right? Wow, um, I didn't know that. That's yeah, amazing. So, so exactly. So I think we are definitely looking at marketplace as a way to generate more revenue for uh, a company. It is also a place we have a lot of learning to do, as well as Microsoft has a lot of learning to do. 
as yes. we kind of as Microsoft launched, as you know, when launched the MPO program, and yep. there's a lot of work on kind of making sure now each partner, a Microsoft partner and VMware partner knows about this program, can go and take advantage of that, and especially we of all the listings that we already have. And then internally, making sure that we continue to create continuous innovation and continue to list more solutions that we can um, also bring to the Azure marketplace uh, as well. And for our listeners that don't know what MPO is, that's the multi-partner offer that Microsoft now allows, uh, where before it was only the ISV partner, the VMware partner, as an example, and Microsoft selling to a customer. MPO allows VMware to leverage that ecosystem and bring those partners, whether they be called channel partners or SIs or whatever category is used and then co-sell together, right? And then everyone wins in that equation. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously proof is in the pudding. We want to see revenue and we want to make sure that we can get the education that's needed. And so that's some of the work that we're doing with Microsoft right now. So you get to sit in an enviable spot, right? VMware is one of Microsoft's top partners. And you have done an amazing job driving incredible success. Uh, congratulations on all the work you've done, uh, achieving top partner status and all, all the awareness that you've built within your organization and at Microsoft. But what about the other organizations that you see out there, the other independent software vendors that are looking to achieve top co-sell status or drive incremental results? Why do you think that so many don't achieve these great results? And what would you tell those that would like to achieve top results to do differently today? Yeah, I think I have uh, three things that I can share from my experience. One is build a great team. I've had a lot of ISVs who you know, have reached out to me and they say, we've had one person. Well, one person is not going to get you to what you really need to drive, right? It, yes. And I'm not saying you need to hire 40 people or 50 people just to manage the max of relationship. But you do need to have dedicated focus, um, especially if you aim to scale from geo because time zones become a challenge, right? And then yep. the co-sell program and the marketplace programs, they require dedicated focus. The co-building requires dedicated focus. And yep. if you are like VMware you, and you have multiple agreements, you need someone who could be paying attention to that, right? So I think that's the number one kind of build a great team and hire good people because that just kind of makes that scale possible. And the other thing is don't do navel gazing. And what I mean by navel gazing is just look at what you uh, and you want to do. And I think that's part of the puzzle, but you have to understand the Microsoft playbook. And if you don't understand the Microsoft playbook, you're never going to get the outcomes that you want because you'll constantly be saying, this is what I want. This is what I want. And Microsoft is going to say, well, there are millions of other ISVs who also are saying, this is what I want. But this is these are the things you know, for our fiscal year. And Microsoft is very structured, right? So they yes. set the strategy, then that's what they execute across the year. So if you miss the window of planning and you haven't gotten some of your ideas in with Microsoft, then don't expect them to make that changes once July hits, right? So then yes. they go into execution mode. So I would say, understand the Microsoft uh, playbook. Don't do navel gazing. <laughs> and, then, and then the <laughs> third one, which we touched upon is hire great experts to 
complement some of the work you need to do, but you may not have the expertise um, in-house or even on um, your own team. And then leverage your cross-functional teams. I mean, there are a great resource. I can't tell you how many people have raised their hands and say, hey, I want to do a project with you because I want to get to know Microsoft and take advantage of that. Yes. So I think those are the things that if you really want to drive, uh, and these are softer skills, right? I'm not talking about the mechanics of what you need to do to get to the uh, co-sell and get your IP co-sell in and do all of that work. I think these things are the levers that we used, which are more on the softer skill side, but are equally important. I'm so excited to announce our continued partnership with AG1. Many of you know I made taking a green drink supplement, part of my health ritual for over 21 years now, and it has made all the difference to my health and well-being. Over six years ago, I found Athletic Greens, and now their product, AG1, became my go-to supplement. AG1 is the first thing I take every morning to power my day. It covers all of my nutritional bases, supports my gut health, gives a boost to my immunity and energy levels. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash Vince M. That's drinkag1.com forward slash Vince M. Check it out. So hire a great team, hire, in other words, also invest, I think is what I heard you say. Don't just have one person, especially if you're a larger ISV Correct. and you've got a big organization supporting a you know, billion dollars. ISVs are driving a lot of revenue through right. their, their systems. And then you mentioned, uh, the navel gazing. I really, I really like, because I, I see so many ISVs that are more in the, I'll, I'll call it, it's a, a scarcity mentality or that there's a mindset around Microsoft needs to do things my way yeah. as opposed to aligning to Microsoft, which is what I think I heard you say, and then hire great experts as well, because you're not going to have all the resources or all the answers yourself. In your case, you're talking about thousands of transactions integrating across Microsoft's partner center, your CRM solution back and forth. Lot, there's a lot of data going back and right. forth. There, right. There's a lot of handling that needs to happen. Yeah. So you need the tools to do the job right. Exactly. And especially if data is not always clean. So you have, there, yeah. there is that manual work that still happens because some of them like, okay, we'll just buy this tool and make the, this tool is going to make it all work. And I was like, no, no, no. That means you haven't really done the job because the tool is not going to make it work. It's the people who actually, for even now, until, you know, when the data becomes really clean, the and then you can get to that point where you are just able to do the, the automation of those through those tools. So it's a combination still. And that's the reality. And the other piece I heard you say earlier, I want to reiterate is you've got to do the internal selling within your own organization, right? Yeah. You've got to, you've got to set the stage as the, you're the Microsoft expert internally, I would say at VMware, help the leadership really understand why they need to invest, why they need to do things a little bit differently to support the journey, because it's good for both organizations. Yeah. And I think some of these uh, lessons are also applicable to other cloud providers as well. Yes. So some of the things we've talked about 
today are not just how do you kind of manage Microsoft. I think I'm also starting to see that as I talk to my peers who are managing other cloud vendors, it's it's similar, right? It's just different cultures. And of course, that is still piece of kind of understanding what makes these other cloud providers tick. But the fundamentals of and the building blocks remain the same. Like, and so I I would say some of the thing ideas we've talked about here are applicable as uh, ISVs manage, you know, participate in other ecosystems as well. Yeah, I think what you said is is right on here, right? Specifically, this is not just a Microsoft conversation. This is a hyperscaler conversation. And you and I both know that the way that these other organizations have built out their programs and their strategy and their partnering teams, I mean, it all goes back to, I always talk about the Boca Raton moment. Like Microsoft created the partner ecosystem many years ago. It was the first one to have a co-selling motion and others have played fast cash catch up. Some have even surpassed them in some areas and marketplace in, yeah. in particular, but they, they all play from a very similar playbook. There might be differences, but culturally and some of the, the necessary things you need to do are the same, no matter who you're working with. Yeah, I think that exactly. That's exactly true. And so if you can figure out one, working with one hyperscaler, I think you could at least use that playbook, uh, 80% of that playbook with other hyperscalers too. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great car. Co- we could spend all day here and you know, we're we're gonna have more conversations together, Needy. You know that. We're gonna talk more about the future and uh, you've got such a great story to tell and it can help so many of our partners out there to better understand how to be successful here. But I also want to talk about you and your career journey. Uh, you've had an amazing career, and I'd love to learn from you. Like, was there a spark that set you off on your path to success? Yeah, I think we touched on that a little bit. When um, when I had just started working at Microsoft, um, you know, I started on the product side, and there was a moment where I realized that the business model of Microsoft is partner partners, and that was kind of a spark, if you will, where I realized that if I want to take my career anywhere in the future. And, you know, we're talking about 15 years back, right? That yeah. uh, that amazing, and that, and you know, partnerships was not a domain then, right? No. And I said, if I really want to do well in my career, I do need to understand the craft of partnerships because that's how Microsoft is making money. And that's how every vendor in future is going to be able to scale their business because they won't be able to go on this journey alone. And I think once I had that realization, I then actively looked for experiences. And some of it was just, you know, I fell into those jobs, but I was actively seeking those experiences to hone my craft. Because once you get better at what you do, then you can apply it, especially because there's, there are no, I mean, there are some certifications now, but back in the day, there was no one teaching you partnerships really. No. Nobody was even talking about partnerships as in, and it was you which were learning by doing. And I think that has served me well. And I think that has helped me get the roles that um, I've been doing now. Um, and I'm really excited because every day I can hone my craft and can do it even better. You know, you touched on this, but there was a time when partnership was not exactly the most glamorous role in the organization, right? It was a no. place where sometimes you put people that weren't necessarily successful 
I inherited some of those folks. And, you know, that was one of the things I feel I brought to Microsoft was getting top sellers to become partner leaders because they brought that skill set that was so much needed in the role. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as I've done different roles at Microsoft and elsewhere, I've learned that you truly have to be the CEO for that relationship. And you have to think left to right, you know, sales, marketing, product, engineering, uh, customer success, user experience, they're all kind of parts of the playbook that you need to make that partnership successful. And the moment you start thinking like a CEO, I do think that it kind of just changes the dynamic of the the partnership and the relationship, whether it's one-on-one or three-way, four-way relationships. I think you have to kind of start looking at, I'm the owner and I have to kind of figure out how, how this end-to-end journey works and what will build the relationship that will help us accrue to the revenue potential that hasn't been unlocked uh, yet. And so I think so that that thinking has definitely helped me. Yeah. And I, you know, I know from some of the work, I've seen some of the work that you've done. I mean, you're driving relationships at the CEO level of both organizations, right? So that requires a set of skills, an executive presence, an executive set of skills to drive that. And I think that's something often missed in the conversation. Absolutely. Um, I totally agree with that. (laughs) So this is a fun question I love to ask almost every single one of our guests now, because it's so much fun to dive in here, Needy. So you are hosting a dinner party and you can host this dinner party anywhere in the world. You can ask any three guests from the present or the past to join this amazing dinner party. Only three though. Whom would you invite and why? Yeah, I think it builds on something that we were talking about earlier. And I would say the three people um, that... Three amazing women that I would invite to the dinner table would be my mom, a very famous architect named Zaha Hadid, also uh, Oprah Winfrey. And I'll tell you why. My mom, because she has taught me the value of hard work and being persistent in pursuit of a mission or a goal that you set for yourself. And I I do think that trait comes from her. She and she she's been an amazing mentor supporter. She's the one who's probably going to watch this video uh, or the pod and hear the podcast. Um, so I and I'm it. grateful for Hi, mom. <laughs> some of the skills. And the the, the second one um, is Ahadi. I admire her for the love of her craft and the amazing work in the field of architecture that she's done. And I I think the key thing is. When you know what craft you want to focus on, and it can be anything, and then you can really pursue it with that passion and that commitment that she was able to do, it just yields amazing results. And so, so that's why I think you know she would be the other person on my dinner table. And then the last one, um, giving back to the community. So once you've found a craft and you get really good at it, and I think Oprah Winfrey kind of is that example, yes. then giving back to the community and you know, really thinking about what have I learned? How can I tell, share that and bring other leaders on that journey with me is kind of horror. So I think if I apply back to what we do, you, know, you have to have some kind of grit 
it's not for the faint hearted you and i joke about that right partnership yes. is not for the faint hearted and you need some passion for this craft because every day you will have different challenges and if as you, and you are only going to get better as you kind of work through those uh, challenges and then the and lastly you know ha- you have to give big back to the community and this is what this podcast is really about right you've lo- we have learned you and i have learned a few things that we can now share so that not everyone has to learn partnerships the hard way yes so yes. this the, yeah these are the people i would bring to my dinner table and why <laughs> this sounds like a wonderful first of all i'd love to meet your mom i'm going to come by and bring dessert or something i need to come by uh zaha hadid is yes. that how i pronounce it yeah and then Oprah. I mean, Oprah, I mean, we all know Oprah. I mean, just the amazing story of her success, but also her, where she came from, her roots and her background and how she overcame so many things to then give back, as you say. Just really terrific. So, Needy, as Microsoft enters its fiscal year 24, right, it is month two now. Uh, and we all know Microsoft summer, right? So it's really just kicking in. Right. But as a Microsoft leader, what new habit or mindset are you embracing to accelerate your path for this successful new fiscal year? Yeah, I think one of the things that I've been talking to my team about is also mindfulness. And, you know, we all have very active minds when you work in partnerships because you have, you're constantly thinking of all these ideas and things and how you can move the business forward. But I found that stepping back, writing things down, doing some self-reflection on what you've done and it just helps thing to do things better. Yes. And and I think when applied to partnerships, it's a very powerful tool. Which is, I don't think many partnerships t- leaders use that tool effectively. And I would encourage everyone who's kind of starting this new year with Microsoft, thinking of what's the new habit. It's every few weeks. I would say every six weeks. Write down what you've been doing. Share it with people at Microsoft, your contacts, share it with internally, and just kind of get into that habit of reflecting on, hey, we did this, what can we do better? Um, mm. what, where do we go from here? Um, it will, it will, because just don't go, go, go. And I speak from experience. I'm like that. Like I'm just on the move. But the more I've been able to practice that, you know, mindfulness in different ways, I've been able to even do better. So I would leave you with that thought. <laughs> I think that's it's an incredible thought. We talked about meditation as a as a mindfulness practice uh, before we started recording today. That's I know another area, but what I think I internalized from what you just shared is that you need to you need to sit back and also be grateful for the results that you've achieved. Absolutely. At the same time, you know, ensure that you are headed in the right direction, right? If there's any course correction, I like to refer to agility as being a skill that we all need to have. Uh, but then, th- you know, just taking that time out, otherwise you could end the year and be in the wrong uh, set of results, I guess Absolutely. is what I would add. Yeah. And sometimes it's forced in the organizations, but I think as a leader, the more you can do it yourself and make time for that, uh, the better it is. And that some of the tools, you know, writing things down, whether you're journaling, whether you're just you know, writing notes to yourself, whatever works for you, just reflecting on what's been done and using that reflection with the team as well. What have we achieved? Where do we need to go and create a routine around that? So six weeks, quarter, whatever works for your teams. Um, I would highly encourage that. We found some good 
good uh, nuggets from that, which we were not able to do when we are just were on the move constantly, just doing things and not stepping back. So just one more question here. So do you ask each of the people in your organization to do it as well? And then you do you do a one-on-one with them? How do you share that information? Yeah, I think so one-on-one. I th- one of the things is kind of doing a very structured one-on-one with the key stakeholders. Uh, I know it's project management one-on-one, but not many people do that. So you do a 360 yep. and you just do, go do interviews and say, hey, this is what we are seeing. What do you think? And getting that feedback and then kind of consolidating that and then stepping back and saying, this is what I've heard from the organization. Is this what's needed to be done? Or is there something else that we need to go influence and then go do that round of one-on-ones again, right? And so that's that's a constant 360 kind of feedback loop. Um, every leader, uh, whether it's partnerships or not, needs to constantly do because then you know what's happening in the business where people's heads are at and what you need to do to influence them. Yes, yes. Right? So, so I think that's why I said step back, write things down, engage in the way that's most, most productive. So many great nuggets today. So much great advice, uh, learnings, and sharings that you've given with us today, Needy. I want to thank you so much for being such an amazing guest. So glad to finally welcome you to Ultimate Guide to Partnering. And thank you for joining and sharing with our listeners today. Yeah, thank you, Vince. Thank you for everything that you're doing for the community. This is a great podcast and I've learned a lot. So I'm very grateful uh, for what you've been able to bring to the community. Thank you so much. So there you have it. Another amazing guest joins Ultimate Guide to Partnering. And I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Odds are, if you're a technology partner executive, and hearing my voice. Chances are you too are looking to accelerate your success through partnerships. I mean, let's face it, we all have seen partnerships that look good on paper, but never live up to their expected results. There are a lot of reasons why partnerships fail. And at Ultimate Partnerships, we help you get it right by applying a proven set of best practices and framework that's used by leading partners working with Microsoft and other technology giants. If you want to learn more, follow the link in the show notes or visit our website at ultimateguidetopartnering.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione, online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.